Church. Tonight, uh, I've uh, had a thought on my heart for about, I don't know, 10 or 14 days uh, for this, uh, me- this message tonight. It's, uh, it's nothing new uh, to you uh, tonight, but it is nevertheless the message that I feel uh, impressed upon to preach about. And uh, we'll take a reading from Genesis chapter 2 and go back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 15 through 17. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. I'm sure most of you are very well familiar with this section of scriptures here and could probably quote this, but nevertheless, we'll read it. It says this, And the the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And my thought tonight is on covenantal promises, and specifically the differences between the nature of man and God. And I want to say I appreciate the message this morning. It was very much along the lines of the similar thoughts that I've had for this message. And I'm just going to go ahead and preach what God has put on my heart. Now... Uh, we see from the very beginning uh, a covenant, an agreement that God has given uh, to man way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And as I study about this, uh, I come to the realization that the covenant there, the way that it is indicated in the Bible, is a lot different than the way that I think about covenants and the way that I think about agreements um, as we do in our culture today. Um, Often when we think about covenants or contracts or formal agreements, we think about that being made between two parties that are on an equality. Um, We uh, come together and we agree to uh, both uh, meet uh, certain standards in a contract, whether that's a lease or that's to purchase something, or maybe it's a contract for work. Uh, But this contract, this this, uh, covenantal agreement uh, was different than that. Uh, The first uh, one that I just described is what might be referred to as an egalitarian uh, covenant or a covenant that's made between equals, whereas this one was more of an authoritarian covenant. It was uh, more of a covenant that was made uh, from an authority towards a subordinate. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Greek equivalent of covenant in the New Testament is the word diatheke, and it means, it means an obligation that is undertaken by a single person. Or what we might, we might think of it more as tonight is a promise. So God has made a promise here to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he said, you know, listen, I love you. This is the way I understand it anyway. I love you. I have created you because I love you. I have desired fellowship with you because I love you. I have given you a perfect environment, an ideal environment for for humans because I love you. And we are in a great enjoyment, in a great uh, place together here. And it can stay exactly this way as long as you don't do one thing. He only restricted, he only restricted Adam and Eve in one area. There was only one area of restriction. They could do anything except eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And go, along with that, God gave them a promise. And he said, I'm, I'm promising you that, you know, this is the only law that I've given you. I've given you one law, and I'm promising you that if you break that law then I'm going to, the punishment for that, the justice for that is going to be death or it's going to be a a separation between the fellowship that you and I uh, have. 
And that wasn't only just a physical death that they experienced, but it, it, you know, Adam didn't experience physical death for, for 900 plus years. But you remember that the Bible tells us that when he ate of the tree, he was immediately separated from God spiritually. That was the more important death or the more important separation that happened there was the spiritual one rather than the physical one. Now, we go on and see that in the third chapter, and again, you're, you're familiar with this, that the, Satan comes on and in the, takes, uh, inhabits the form of a serpent here, and, and he begins to challenge he begins to challenge God, and, or excuse me, he begins to challenge God in the mind of, of Adam and Eve, and he begins to uh, try to tempt them to doubt God, um, as, brother, uh, as Brother Brad said this morning, and thinking that God was withholding something or restricting something from them. And I think that you can begin to see, as you look at this, you can begin to see the nature of humanity in uh, the response of Eve and Adam to the, um, to the questions that Satan was proposing to them. And we talk about a nature, and, and often you, we, we talk about this in, in, uh, amongst our ranks as having a sinful nature, and that really isn't always described uh, real clear, but... Um, Nature is, uh, it's the essential qualities or attributes of something. It's the qualities that constitute something or make it what it is. Now, you think about this from the animal kingdom, and you think about when you're fishing for a specific species of fish or you're hunting for a specific species of animal, the only reason that you can come in a place of catching them um, or shooting them is because uh, they have a nature. They have qualities and attributes that we can study and know about and use to our advantage. They eat at a certain time. They eat specific things. Uh, they, they behave in certain ways at certain times. And so we study the nature of them and we understand them very, very well. Well, but humanity also has a nature about us, especially spiritually. We have a spiritual nature, and we can see that. We have attributes and essential qualities that define us uh, as humans as we relate to God. And I think you can see that right here in this very chapter. I mean, uh, Satan starts out, and he, he begins to question, Hey, is, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And uh, the woman says... We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And I think that the, the first thing that we can look at in the, in the nature, the, the spiritual nature of humanity is this, is that there is a sense of rebellion against authority in the spiritual nature of humanity. We, we, we are told we can't do something. We are told there is a law, and naturally we want to violate that law. We want to break that law. We want to go against that law. We want to test the limits and the boundaries of that law. I mean, there was only one restriction here, and yet that one restriction was enough to cause her to desire to violate it, and him too. Not only is there the nature of rebellion and seeing restriction as um, an, an impediment to, to personal freedom, but also, also you see here that, there, that she didn't have a very um, accurate, uh, there, there was an inattention, I'll say it this way, there was an inattention to the details 
of how to worship God and God's law. There was an inattention. And we can see that because she says, well, we can't eat of it, neither can we touch it. But God never said that. He never said that they couldn't touch it. He just said they shouldn't eat of it. So there was an inattention to, uh, to the exact way of worshiping God spiritually. You know, we have just as much of an inattention to the way to worship God today as she had. There's just as much of a spiritual inattention to the truths of God's word and how to worship God today as there's ever been. Uh, we, we can look around us and we are constantly, as missionary Baptists, I hope, standing for the truth about repentance toward God and faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as the only plan of salvation this world has ever had. And yet we are attacked all the time, uh, on, or, or the truth is attacked all the time on every end with substitutes, false substitutes for the true plan of salvation. There's an inattention to the details of how God wants to be worshipped. And that is in the spiritual nature of us as humans. Notice, uh, he goes on and, and Satan just comes out. He comes out with a blatant lie. And that blatant lie is veiled in the deception of half-truth. Half he says, you shall not surely die. You're not going to die. Uh, but he says, he says that God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So he, he veils the fact that, yes, their eyes are going to be spiritually opened and they're going, to, they're going to know their sin and know about their sin, but it's veiled with the, the direct lie that you're not going to be separated from God in that. And uh, I'll tell you, when we, in our spiritual natures, we, we like to be, uh, as humanity as a whole now, we like to be ignorant of the truth and we are easily deceived. We deceive ourselves all the time and we w- I think almost a lot of times we like to be deceived when it comes to God's truths. That way we're not held accountable for, for true worship. For true worship. Now I'm speaking in generalities this morning, or this evening, excuse me. Notice it says... Uh, After that, it says that the woman, she saw the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And I think that we can see here very clearly that she began to to look at the tree in a different way with great lust. She began to look at it with great lust and great pride. Um... And at that point, there was a selfish desire that came over her. She no longer cared about having fellowship with God. She no longer cared about uh, being right with God or knowing God's will and doing God's will. There was a selfishness and a self-will that, that, that was present there. And I contend tonight that that is also present in the spiritual nature of every human being. We'd rather follow our own wills than follow God's. And we become very selfish at times and ignore God and ignore our relationship with Him. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And we'll come back to that thought, I hope, later on. And uh, we, we see later on that Uh, that Adam began to, he began to make excuse. 
when God approached him and God said, you know, where art thou? God began to pursue Adam. Where are you, Adam? And Adam began to make, he said, have you eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And Adam began to make excuse for himself. And he began to blame everything and everyone except taking full responsibility for the one that was responsible for the sin, which was him. He began to blame God. God, the woman that you gave me. He began to blame the woman. He began to blame everybody except himself. And you know, that tends to be the spiritual nature of humanity. We like to pass the buck and not take responsibility and blame everybody else for our sinful condition and our sinful uh, situation except where it really lies with us as individuals. And you know, if you're lost tonight, and you, before you can get saved, you're going to have to get to a point where you're real honest with yourself. You're real honest before God about your sin. And uh, you know, the Holy Spirit has to be involved in drawing you to Christ. And in that drawing, the Holy Spirit will shine the light of the word upon you and help you. The Holy Spirit will help you to see your sinful condition before God. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't help you to open your eyes and see your true condition before God, I don't believe you'll ever come to a place of repentance. I pray for that tonight. I hope for that tonight. Now we, we go on and we see that later on God brings after this initial covenant, this initial agreement is broken, God, he brings what we, what's referred to as the curse, the curse down upon the punishment, the judgment down upon Adam and upon Eve and upon the serpent and that's not really, that curse is not necessarily the focus of this message tonight, but I, I do want to focus on uh, the verse 15 I love verse 15 in chapter 3. I believe it's the first place that we see a prophecy of the Messiah in the Bible. That we see the first place that we see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's actually uh, speaking to Satan here. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. Speaking about the fact that there would come a Messiah that would be born different than anybody else was ever born. He had to have a different birth than everyone else. He was born with a nature that was different than the nature that Adam and Eve had, the nature that you and I have. His nature was different. He was a human, yes, but he was not born with a sinful nature like we have. And I'll tell you that has to be there. If you don't have the virgin birth, then you don't have a qualified Messiah. But I, I love that God is saying, you know, Adam, you messed up. You broke the covenant. But listen, I knew this was going to happen. I knew that you were going to break the covenant in my omniscience, in my all-knowingness. Before the world was ever created, I knew what you were going to do. I knew you were going to sin. I knew you were going to violate my law. I knew you were going to be a covenant breaker. And I made a plan for you. I mean, this is some of the, to me, this is some of the richest theology in the Bible to me. I love the fact that God has loved you and he's loved me tonight since before the world was ever created. 
His love for us has been eternal. His love for us it, uh, was prior to the creation of the world. And that, that God, that the Trinity made a covenant together. Some have called it the covenant of redemption. They made a covenant together way back before they ever created this world. And the plan was that Christ would come into the world and die for our sins. I mean, you can see this in certain places in the scriptures. In 1 Peter, Peter says this about Christ. He says... In chapter 1, he says, For as much as ye know, verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as or like silver and gold, from your vain or your empty manner of living, your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily or truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. He was foreordained. It was foreknown before the world was created that Jesus would come and die for your sins. I mean, what a great picture of God's love. We talk about the, uh, the uh, attributes or the nature of God. What a great picture of love. What a great picture of loving kindness. What a great picture of mercy. As God described himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, the first word that he used, he described himself as merciful. What a great picture of the attributes of God that we see right here in Genesis chapter 3 in the very garden that God says, I've got a plan for you. <laughs> gives me a lot of encouragement tonight and a lot of, a lot of hope. That God has had that kind of love for us forever. And he's got that kind of love for you tonight. If, uh, if you're a lost, if you've never been saved, God has loved you forever. God knew that you were going to sin. God provided a plan anyway in his great grace, in his great uh, omniscience, in his great um, loving kindness. We look and we see that um, I want to talk a little bit about God's immutability. Just God's unchangeableness. You know, it's, it's, if you're saved tonight, God's unchangeableness is a great, it's a great encouragement to know that God's love will never change. God's mercy and grace will never change. But that same encouragement to the saved, that immutability, should also bring great fear to you if you're lost. I mean, there are New Testament writers that seem to, they seem to refer to the immutability of God as one thinks, as a sinner thinks about the future. You remember how that in 1 Peter chapter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, Peter's talking there about false teachers, and I'm paraphrasing this, but he says, hey, don't you remember the angels that sinned? Don't you remember? They sinned and they were not, uh, they were not, um, uh, Punishment was, was still to them. They were cast into hell. They sinned and they were cast into hell. There was a direct punishment. God had promised punishment. And what he promises, he delivers. And he delivers every time. And they said, well, he, he said there, he said, don't you remember in the days of Noah, in the antediluvian world, 
Don't you remember how that uh, the people had sinned and they'd moved away from God and yet God came with a great judgment. He came with the flood. He promised and he delivered. And he said, don't you remember in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah how that they were wicked and how that they were against God that God promised the judgment and he delivered. Aren't you fearful tonight? God is an immutable God. He promises. He's a God of justice. That's one of his attributes. And if he's punished in the past, he will continue to punish for the same things in the future. He will. The Hebrew writer said it a different way. And I realize tonight, I remember that when I was lost, it's not fear. I don't believe that it's fear that drives one on their knees to seek Jesus and the cross. I don't believe that fear is the motivating factor to do that. And I'm not trying to scare you, but I want you to reason. Come let us reason together tonight. The Hebrew writer said it this way in chapter 2. He said, let me find it here. He was speaking about the old covenant. And he said, for if the word that was spoken by angels was steadfast, if it was unmovable, and every transgression or every sin and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. If in the Old Testament, if under two or three witnesses, every sin was punished. He says, how shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. What's your plan tonight to escape the judgment of God? Seeing that God is immutable and unchangeable and that he has punished sin throughout history, what is your plan tonight? How do you plan to escape? How do you plan to escape? You know, we look, we look at some of the attributes um, that Jesus displayed and comparing them to some of them that Adam displayed and Eve in, uh, in the book of John I want to read a couple verses there John chapter 7 um, it says this in verse 28 Jesus says it says then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught saying ye both know me and you know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not, but I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Now you remember I tried to point out that the, one of the first things that we saw in the personalities of, of Eve, and of course Adam consented, was that uh, there was a rebellious nature about them. And yet we see with Jesus that he says, oh no, <laughs> I have come to do the will of my father. He was not rebellious toward the will of his father at all. He said, for this cause came I into the world. I came into the world to die for the sins of the world. And this was the will of the father. Jesus came and his sole desire was to fulfill the, the, the will of God the father. This will that had been apparently discussed between them and decided upon before the world was originated. In John chapter 9, in verse 4, it said, Jesus said this, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. He came to do the works that the Father wanted him to do. That was his purpose. 
He was obedient to the will of the Father. In uh, John chapter 8 and verse 38, it says, Jesus said this, I speak that which I have seen with my Father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your Father. Jesus said, I, I've been with the Father, I've seen, I know what his will is, and I've come here to speak it and to do it. I've come here to speak it and to do it. In chapter 10 of John, in verse 15, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Again, Jesus knew what it, the will of the Father was. He was, came here to do it. He came here to give his life for you and I, for the sheep. Laid it down that we might have eternal life. In chapter 12, in verse 27 and 28, we see it says, Now, Jesus speaking again, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Here's one of the three times that we see in the New Testament, God the Father speaking from heaven. He says, uh, Jesus said, I want your name to be glorified. And the, the Father says, I have glorified it. When was it glorified? It was glorified before, uh, etern before uh, the world was originated in the covenant of redemption. It was glorified in the Old Testament prophecies, one of which we read about the coming Messiah. Uh, it was glorified at the birth of Jesus. You remember that how that the angels came and they said, uh, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. For uh, in this day, in the city of David, there is born unto us a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Uh, his name was glorified. The Father's name was glorified at the baptism of Jesus. Remember, uh, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and there was a voice from heaven. The Father said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It was glorified at the Mount of Transfiguration when he said something very similar. He said, this is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. He said, I will glorify it again. You know when he glorified it again? He glorified it again at Jesus' death. He glorified it again at Jesus' burial and his resurrection. He glorified it again at Jesus' ascension and uh, his, uh, seated, his, his sitting today uh, on the throne at the right hand of the Father. All of those were glorification in the name of the Father. We see that uh, Jesus not only was attentive to the will of the Father, but we find that he was very attentive uh, to uh, all of the laws and rules that had been set forth in the worship of the Father. In Matthew chapter 5, when he was questioned, he said, for, verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one yacht or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled every single one of the Old Testament commandments. He didn't break even one of them. He, filled, he fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies, every single one of them. When one of the seven things that he said from the cross was, it is finished. It's finished. He was attentive to how to worship and honor the Father. We go on and look, and we see that um, we see that uh, there was a selfishness in Adam and Eve as they, they turned and looked at the fruit with lust and with pride. 
Uh, the Bible tells us in uh, Matthew, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 20, it tells us when Jesus was talking to James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, about who would be the greatest in the kingdom, he said, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, Jesus was the ultimate picture of selflessness. Uh, he left the glories of heaven and came here for one purpose, and that was to be a suffering servant for humanity. When Adam was questioned by God, where are you? He began to make excuse. He began to try to push off responsibility. And yet we find when Christ, who was completely justified and falsely accused, that when he was asked, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, and all these other um, statements and other false accusations that were made against him, uh, most of the time we find in the scriptures that he didn't say a word. He did not say a word. It says, as a sheep that was led to slaughter, he opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. I think we can see tonight a big difference in the nature, spiritual nature of the Lord Jesus Christ and our spiritual nature. He is an all-sufficient Savior tonight. I want you to know that. I want to come back and, and close with one more thought. We saw that after the fall that Adam and Eve had attempted to cover themselves with fig leaves. When I lived in Oregon, I, uh, I grew a couple of fig trees and I understand now why that they used fig, fig leaves because they're huge. They're about that big. I mean, they're huge leaves. And I understand why they used them. But by the works of their hands, they tried to do something to cover up their shame. And we see uh, in the end of that chapter that, that God clothed them. It says in verse 21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins, and God clothed them. He clothed them in, in, with the institute here of sacri a sacrifice needed in worship. There was a sacrifice that took place, uh, an animal that died. There was a death that had to occur for the remission of sins that God could be worshipped uh, uh, in holiness. And we see very clearly in the New Testament that uh, we, you and I, need to be clothed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we cannot be clothed. Our, the shame of our sinfulness, the shame of our sinful nature, the shame of our sinful actions cannot be clothed with or covered with anything that we do. It has to be clothed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember in Romans, I believe it's in uh, chapter 4, he said, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul uh, was talking about this subject a little bit, and he said, in quoting David in the Psalms, it says, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. 
God lays to the charge of that individual righteousness without works, saying, blessed, happy, joyful are they whose iniquities, whose sins are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, his righteousness has been transferred to your soul. And you're covered. You're covered tonight in his righteousness. And that's the only way your sins can be covered. Praise God that God was able to look ahead in time and provide a great plan of redemption for fallen humanity, including you and I tonight. Centered in his great love. Centered in his great mercy. Centered in his great, uh, his kindness unto us. What a blessing tonight. What a blessing. Don't ever be deceived into thinking. Some people think that automatically they have a spiritual nature that is like Christ's automatically, that is like God's automatically. It's just simply not true. It's just simply not true. We don't have the spiritual nature of God, and we are sinners, and we need the covering of Christ's death. Let's worship tonight in that sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're lost tonight, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord. I want to encourage you to recognize and be a prudent individual knowing that there's a day of death coming for, me, for you, knowing that there's a day of judgment coming for you, knowing that there's a day of reckoning coming for your sin, knowing that God's immutability, that he does not change, that he hates sin, that he has punished sin in the past, and that he will certainly punish sin in the future. How will you escape? you neglect so great salvation let's have a song tonight let's have a song of invitation and I want to invite you to come you don't have to wait for a certain time in the service you don't have to do something that you think is expected of you tonight you don't have to go to a certain place or pray for a certain amount of time you just need to seek God you just need to want to find God. From the sincerity and the depths of your heart, confess and recognize tonight your sinful nature and recognize your sinful actions before God. Confess them openly to God. You owe no man your confession tonight. You owe God your confession. 